0: weepy. Um, we are continuing in a series uh, this morning in, in the book of Romans. Pastor Randy is enjoying some time with his wife, um, and uh, so you get to hear from Pastor Michael this morning. Um, if you don't know me, then that's, that's who I am, and uh, most of you do, but if you're visiting with us, uh, I'm one of the pastors here, youth pastor as well. And during the summer months, I, I think it was mentioned last week, I was not here this past week. I was celebrating an anniversary and this morning. Um, during the summer months, we know that people are, it's a lot of moving pieces. Um, as your pastor, I don't want to worry about who's not here. I want to care about those who are here. I don't want to worry. <laughs> um, but, I, but I do, as, as do you. And God can displace my worry as he can yours. Um, So this morning, um, we are going to look again to God's word, and we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 5. And uh, it's our prayer that um, you are falling in love with the God of this book. I could be tempted to say, oh, I I, I hope that you fall in love with the book of Romans. But even the book of Romans exists, that we would know That we would love and that we would follow Jesus. Not find ourselves with our nose in a book. As much fun as I find in that, and not everyone does, thank God. If you don't like to read, you don't have to like to read to know Jesus. You don't have to. Um, But man, it's good to know God in his word. And that's why you're here this morning, or at least I hope it is. Uh, So so join me in Romans chapter 5. As we pick up in verse 1. And this is God's word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, Paul just can't get over this, can he? Notice it just keeps piling on and on. Better, it gets better, it gets better. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. I think sometimes Paul just loses control. (laughs) We could do that every now and then, couldn't we? I want to ask you all a question if we frame up the message today, and the title would be, Now That We Are Justified. Now that we are justified, and I'm not going to assume that everyone in our company is justified by faith in Christ, but we should always assume in the church that there are those who are, and we also ought to assume that there are those in our company who are not. But I want to ask you a question. What are you hoping in right now? I'm going to take a sip and let you think on that. What are you hoping in right now? Not the correct answer, but what are you really hoping in? Not what I'm telling you or what this service has been telling you that you can hope in, but what are you legitimately hoping in right now? It can be a number of things. And the question that follows that is, will it leave you disappointed or ashamed When it does not deliver, or in fact, it may not even happen. What are you hoping in? Maybe it's if I could just have things the way that they used to be. Maybe if you recall, there is such a thing as a sweet spot in life. And if you could just go back there, that is hope fulfilled. Maybe it's a happy marriage. Maybe it's having a true friend. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Maybe it's that your kids would stay out of trouble. Or maybe that they'd just call once in a while, that they'd care enough. Maybe it, it's a job that actually pays the bills. Some of us, maybe it's a clean house for once. Maybe it's relief from chronic pain or good news from the doctor. Or when you get on the scale, if it would just read the magic number, <laughs> right? Mine's not reading the magic number right now, just so you know. Anni- anniversary weekend, did me me? Yeah. If I could summarize the message today, it would be this. As sinners justified by faith in Christ, we need not apply for hope for this life and the life to come. Let me say that again. You didn't hear it. As sinners justified by faith in Christ, we need not apply for hope in this life or the life to come. Now let's unpack it. What is hope? I'd hope if I went around and asked you, you could tell me. But I imagine, as we often realize when we ask questions like these, we can get as many answers as there are people in this room. Author and speaker Paul David Tripp says, Hope is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result that changes the way you live. Can you say amen? It's a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. Notice that's not a hope so, but a guaranteed result. In such, in such a way that it actually changes the way that you think and the way that you speak. And maybe even the way that you spend your afternoon. We'll start out in verses 1 and 2, if you look back at them with me. Paul has just set up in chapters 1 through 4 that we are justified only by faith in Christ. Christ saves. Your faith itself does not save. Christ uses your faith to save. Faith is the instrument by which you are saved. Christ is the Savior. You do not save you. And you don't get in by works or deeds or merit. He starts out telling us here, Through Christ we have, due to our justification, peace with God. What an amazing statement. That you can have peace with God. You can be at peace with God. And not only that, but you can have access to Him. You can have access to grace. Because this whole enterprise is grace. And Paul can't get over it, and I can't, and you can't either. Get over that this thing is grace. Or else we're sunk. I think I need to... Revisit, because there are some of you land coming in and you haven't heard Romans 1 through 4. There's no way I could recap it all. We'll be here all afternoon, but I'll answer this much. What is justification? Because I don't want to assume that you know. It is the legal pronouncement in God's courtroom that sinners are declared not just forgiven, as amazing as that is, but righteous on account of. Of the work of Jesus Christ. Righteous means you have every right to stand in God's presence. You have every right to be there. Because you are hidden in the perfect obedience of Jesus. To be justified is for God to look at you as if the love of Jesus belongs to you. As if the thoughts of Jesus are your thoughts. As if the very words of Jesus are your words, and you sure know better. As if the very actions and compassion of Jesus are yours. That is the amazing thing about the gospel that is good news, folks, this morning, is that any time, if you are in fact justified by faith in Christ, that from here on out, anytime you ever enter God's mind, he can't help but think of Jesus. Have you ever felt the weight of being at war with God? That weight is lifted as you are justified. When he, unjust, when he justifies the ungodly, you're no longer at war. Because we, from our very first breath, have set out to wage war on our creator. It's often subtle, and we even consider it an innocent thing that we do let me give you an example we consume all of his stuff with no gratitude we enjoy all of his stuff and don't say thank you in fact we think we did it we got it we earned it how does being at war with God manifest itself suspicion of God you ever been there those of us who are justified, if we're honest, we still sometimes have suspicion of God. Amen? Sometimes it, not sometimes, all times, manifests itself in the love of self. And love of self can be twisted because sometimes you hate yourself. But it's that you're so preoccupied with yourself that you think you're, you're what it's all about anyway. Anyway. Paul talks earlier in in Romans 1 that being at war with God is like trying to hold down a spring of the truth of his existence knowing that every time you turn around it keeps springing back up and you're trying to shove it down. Suppressing the truth. That's what we do. Innocent thing, we think. Not so. And until you come to grips with the fact that it's not an innocent thing at all you can't quite see the beauty of this good news because you haven't heard the bad. And you haven't come to grips with your undeserving. He owes us nothing. You know that, don't you? It's all the work of grace, and Paul says that up front. He says it's, it's grace in which we stand, Right? You stand in the presence of God on account of grace. Here's a a picture of the implications of the fact that we have peace with God and we have access to grace. Prayer. The implication. Here's an everyday, moment-by-moment implication. Prayer. Recently, I've come to see prayer as a means of experiencing God's grace in real time, not just a very difficult work that I'm to engage in, which it certainly is. If any of you have ever tried to pray, you know it's a work, isn't it? But have you seen on the flip side that it's a grace, it's a gift that God has given you? That every day, every moment, you can step into his presence and awareness of the fact God hears you he sees you he knows you and I can do that because he'll really hear me out no matter if it's something big or small everything's small to God by the way you ever thought of that it's all small to God if I may let me confess Um, this pastor is more like you than you think. I really struggle with prayer. I'm reading a book on it right now. I know you think, well, you've got a Bible that tells you all about it. Sometimes I need another book too. I can go back to thinking that God needs me to clean up first. Can you relate to that? I get stiff. I sulk instead of running to it. I really do want to be a man of prayer. I don't want to be a pretender. I don't want to be a professional. I don't want to be an actor on a stage. who folks can say, "Man, he prays pretty." But then I know me. I know who I am when you're not watching. I want to be a man of prayer and I want you to be men of prayer and women of prayer and I want our innocent children to know the power of prayer. So what about this hope? As sinners just as sinners justified by faith in Christ, we need not apply for hope now. We're not waiting on hope. We have it now. And we also have it in the life to come. Paul says, and as you look to verse 2, we've obtained access by faith into this grace. He goes on to say that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It is cause for joy, the hope that we have, as a result of our justification. And it is a cause of joy because it is the hope of God's glory. Justification, if we needed to start anywhere, the fact that it is all a work of God is certainty that God is all about His glory, not yours, not mine. He is about His name and fame. Can you fake joy? Not very long. Did you catch that? Our hope is in God's glory, not our own. That is not stifling our enjoyment as we we often project to, to a watching world as if God's thrown us in a cage and taken the key and thrown it. And now we don't get to do fun stuff because we're serious people of God. This means that joy is found in your kingdom come. And your will be done, not my little kingdom of self. And you know how that shows up when everyone in your home and everyone in your workplace and everyone in in your class, if you're a teacher or wherever, everyone's your subject, right? To serve your kingdom needs, to obey my commands and live up to my expectations. It shows up in marriage. It shows up in friendship. It shows up in work relationships. It shows up in the church. Your kingdom come, Jesus prays, when asked. How, how, how do we pray? How do we pray? Your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done. And this is an ultimate awareness. Our joy in God's glory is an ultimate awareness of where all of this is headed. Do you get where all of it is moving towards? Jude 25 says, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So be it. Man, that's good. And this joy is rooted, lest you forget, in being at peace with God. And this is the joy that hits the streets where we live and and, and, and where we work and where we play, and it frees us to laugh. When's the last time you heard the laughter of the redeemed? (laughs) You take yourself too seriously, and so do I. Say, Michael, smile. Smile, son. Your sins are forgiven. It's rest. We can rest. And that doesn't mean we don't do anything. But we do everything from rest. Instead of trying to work for rest. Because we're assured that God's not scowling at us. His nostrils are not flaring and his eyes aren't glaring. Isn't that a good place to be? It's cause for joy, our hope in this life and the one to come. It's cause for joy, he goes on to say. It's easy to say, we rejoice in the glory of God. But how about the next verse? But we rejoice in our sufferings. Ooh, that's, that's that, that's a bomb that gets dropped. I, I got you, glory of God. I, I find a lot of joy in that, but suffering? Do you like to suffer? I tell students all the time there's no such thing as a stupid question, and I just ask one. Do you like to suffer? A comprehensive hope knows something of suffering. Suffering. Christianity knows something of suffering. And if if yours doesn't, you've got the wrong brand. You've bought into the wrong brand. Generic won't cut it here. You You can't have a Christianity that turns a blind eye to suffering or downplays suffering. And our suffering, we come to realize, it says here, But we rejoice in our sufferings knowing something about our sufferings. Since we've been justified, we now come to know something about our sufferings. We've been let in on a little secret. Did you know that? Our suffering doesn't occur because God has a change of heart. As if to call into question his love for us. You're suffering because God's mad. He's brewing. That's why your life is falling apart. That's why you're sick. No. No. In fact, it's within suffering that God performed some of his greatest surgery corrective, redemptive surgery. And the scar tissue is there to prove it, isn't it? You know where we can look? The scar tissue? His hands his feet, his side. Did you know that you have a Savior in heaven at this very moment who has holes in his hands? Always oh, love. Always oh, love. Though we aren't in the business of taking suffering and getting out our magnifying glass and going, huh, let me study this sucker in your life and in mine and figure out what God's up to. Sherlock Holmes I'm on the case I know what I'm going to learn from this suffering no we know we don't have to get weird we don't have to get weird about suffering and read into this that God expects us to enjoy our suffering to enjoy our suffering is not to have joy in the midst of it those are two different things we have joy in the midst of our suffering you don't enjoy it you don't have to get weird. We've got enough of that. But we know, we don't have to get our magnifying glass out, we know that our suffering isn't random. We know that our suffering it does not exist in another realm outside of God's control and his plan of redemption. Instead, we see what God's purpose and what he does in the midst of our suffering is he's producing something. He's producing endurance, and endurance gives way to what? Character, and character, back to square one, hope. The King King James Version uses the word experience instead of character. So we know that, we have come to know that our suffering cultivates character, and and, and you know what I mean. You see that on the backside of suffering, don't you? You don't see your character being cultivated like on the onset of going into suffering. Oh, man, I'm, I'm getting some incredible experience here. You see it on the backside. But this is here so that you'll know that as you start wading into suffering and pain and difficulty, that God's not checked out. And checked into a hotel on vacation. He is there in the midst of it. And if he's not, you've got a greater problem altogether. I said the King James uses experience. Our brothers and sisters in this room and those who aren't here this morning need to know that we have been through it too. Going through the gutter. We can share one another's burdens. We can share in one another's comfort. And how are we supposed to know that? And this will get real with the fact that suffering is not an exception to the Christian life. It is the norm. It's the norm. Look with me at verses 5 to 8. Hope doesn't put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So this hope delivers. This is hope in this life. And it's, what hope is this? This is God's love in our hearts that we're talking about. And how did it get there? By the Holy Spirit. Is there anything on this earth, earth, possessions, pleasures, places, or people that can give such hope? Peace with God and love in your heart from God. Do you have an appetite for heaven? The Holy Spirit is our appetizer for and from heaven. I told you last week, Sarah and I... uh, We celebrated an anniversary, 11 years. We went away uh, to Franklin, Tennessee, and enjoyed just the two of us, and uh, we went out to this real fancy place for dinner, and uh, it was dollar menu from there on out. (laughs) I'm talking fancy. Um, And we got this appetizer, and... I guess we didn't, you know, really read the fine detail. The menu was real simple. They didn't have a whole lot because it was so fancy, you know. It's like this stuff, all of it's good. Well, except for your appetizer. (laughs) We got this salad thing, and it was hot. Now I like spinach hot, but this looked like a salad that's supposed to be cold, but it was hot. Some of you don't like salad, so you probably definitely wouldn't like a hot salad. Not so with the Holy Spirit. The appetizer from heaven will not disappoint because his job description is to pour God's love into your heart now, not hoping in the future that God will accept you and love you, but the Holy Spirit is here to remind you again and again and again, and He won't get off your back. And that's the best monkey on your back you ever ever saw. He reminds uh, reminds me of my sonship and you, you of yours. He grants me assurance that in Christ, God loves me and even likes me. It is by His Spirit in us that we, we are free. We are free to forgive those who have hurt us, betrayed us, wronged us in all kinds of ways. You can't do that apart from the Spirit. You can't muster it. You can't conjure it. You can't be it. The Holy Spirit if you are justified by faith in Christ has opened your blind eyes to hear what we read just a moment ago, while we were weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us because you can hear that in this room and just shrug your shoulders. But the Holy Spirit opens your blind eyes and your deaf ears and you get it. Has that hit home for you? While I was still a sinner, he says, while we, has it hit home for you that you can say this morning, while I was still a sinner, while I was still weak, Christ died for me? The Holy Spirit was given to reinforce this because this truth, while I was a sinner, while I was still a sinner, there is nothing more sobering, there is nothing, nothing more humbling than that, to hear that and to own it. Because it gives you no grounds for boasting in you. You can't boast in anything that you bring. I brought my sin. You brought saving. And this helps us realize. One pastor even said that the spirit inside of us is better than Jesus beside of us. What do you think about that? This, help, this helps us realize that our hope is that we are saved, we are being saved, and one day we will be saved. Do you ever fear that Jesus got you into the family, but but you have to put in your, your effort to keep yourself in? And if you don't, He may just write you out of the will. H- have you ever got caught up in that. Maybe you didn't think about it that way, but that's what you do. You need to read the prodigal son story if you haven't. What has changed, Paul gets into saying in verses 9 and 10. He says, since therefore we've been justified, much more shall we be saved by his life. What is he getting at here? Now that you are a son, why in the world on the last day when you stand before God's judgment, would he abandon you? And say, son, you messed up. I'm sorry. We really are safe and secure from the hell to come. We really are safe and secure, and not everyone is. And so we got some stuff to tell them we got someone to tell them about. And it's not because we're good and they're not. It's because of who we know. I've been welcome to the party because of someone I know. Not because of who I am. Because so and so, the big man, says I'm welcome. Amen. We read that Jesus is, at the, is seated, right? At the right hand of the Father. I guess he must be up there just twiddling his thumbs, right, waiting until dad says, go get him, son. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Have you not heard of his advocating? Have you not heard of his interceding? He has accomplished our salvation, and even here and now, he is bringing it to completion. Hebrews 7.25, you heard that one? Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Let me tell you something. This is not new, but it will be for some of you. Jesus is praying for you. Someone says, Michael, please pray for me. I'm not going to make a habit out of saying this every time because it will get mechanical. But I can say, and I can mean it with everything in me, Jesus is praying for you. And I want to join him. I'm going to join him in praying for you. How comforting would it be if you could hear Jesus praying for you in the other room? What couldn't you face if you knew that Jesus was praying for you? He is. That's not just some novel idea that I came up with. Here it is. Live with it. And as I close, well, before I close, you know as I close, another twenty minutes. I don't know if it's still a thing, but you got these big trucks that are jacked up going down the road. You know those kids in their loud pipes. There used to be these stickers across the back glass that said "No Fear." No fear, man. I used to have one on my truck. I drove a little Dodge Dakota when I went to Liberty. And it said, fear not, because I'm King James Version. <laughs> but, well, and I had some lady. <laughs> uh, that landed better than I thought it would. So I was at the gas station one day. I was pumping gas, and some lady said, I really like that sticker. These kids running around, no fear. They think they're all that. I like that. (laughs) And then it said Isaiah 41, 10. Is that right? Yeah, Lauren knows. Fear not. Why? For I am with you. For I am with you. And as he wraps up here, we're wrapping up here. This is just the beginning of chapter 5. He's just getting warmed up i tell you, Romans is 16 chapters. He says, more than that, it just keeps building and building and building. Jesus is better. Justification by faith is better. You can't find anything as good. He says, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have received reconciliation. If justification is the legal verbiage for You being declared not guilty and righteous, perfect. Reconciliation is the language of intimacy and relationship that you and I now get to enjoy. Isn't that amazing? He wraps up saying, you're not in the courtroom, and you guys have heard me say this 10 times because I can't get over it. You're not in the courtroom anymore. You're in the family room. Come on, get out of the courtroom. I told these guys uh, at the recovery house this past week, you're standing in there? The judge is in front of you, and he's your dad. And he says, son, get out of here. I don't have anything on you. (laughs) That's our existence. If you have trusted the righteousness of Christ, if you have repented of your sins and cling to him only, not your own pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, there's no guilty verdict now or ever. And so he says, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. What does that mean? That means have joy again. Have joy again. Have it again and again and again and again. For he, not all of his stuff and not all that he's done for us, God himself, Paul concludes here, is our hope. God, God is our hope. He was our greatest enemy, and now he's our greatest friend and family. He is our father. And I can't do anything to change that. In Psalms we read, and I could extend this to you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I think Paul's kind of riffing on that. Let me tell you about the benefits of Jesus. Joy again. He is our greatest portion and prize. Are you at peace with God? You can rise with me and stand. This is when we actually land the plane. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just let some of what you've heard sink in for a minute. This is not about the preacher. This is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is not about a personality. This is not about a place. This is not about this people in this room. This is about Jesus. Are you at peace with God? Have you repented of your sin with trust in Christ as the only means to be righteous before God? My brothers and sisters in this room, as you have a moment to just think, are you casting your hopes on possessions and pleasures and people or maybe even a particular place in life? Beloved in Christ, you can rest. You can rest. Your hope is now and forever. Jesus. Quit climbing. If there is such a thing as arriving in this life, it's Christ. So many of us, we're trying to arrive. We've all got our own definition. You're already there. For Christ is life. Not me, not my pursuits. Together, we hope in Him. And His invitation still stands. Come again to Christ. Joy again in Christ. And if you never have, let me tell you something. He'll never turn you away. Won't you come? Come? there's anyone in this room now that does not know Christ and His redeeming love, you can know Him right now. Just lift your hand and say, Michael, I want to know Him. I don't. Just raise your hand and say, Michael, and this is not because I must know, but because I do want to pray for you. It's weird. It may be. I'd like to sincerely pray for you if you don't know Christ this morning. Anyone? If not, our hope is that as we sing this final song, this is the people of God singing the praises of God to His glory for our good all that he's done and all that he is doing and all that he will do because he's with us. Father, I'm done. Thank God that you're not. You're still at work. Even when I close my, my mouth, help me. You know, I always want to say too much. these people as only you can be and as we sing god minister to their hearts not just this hour but this afternoon this week as they just as i need jesus in his name we pray amen